Book of Joshua, chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, after the death of Moses, servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Number five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand, or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. And the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all is written in it, for then you may make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In this passage that the Lord is talking to Joshua after Moses dies, and now he's, he becomes the leader. Now he's in charge. And the Lord talks to him and gives him encouragement. And several times he reminds him, he goes, don't worry, don't be, don't be afraid, I'm going to be with you. And Jesus, before he left and went back to heaven at his ascension, he said, Behold, <clears throat> I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is the message to us as Christians that we should embrace, that we can be strong and, and have courage, because he will never leave us or forsake us. Those words are reminded to us in the book of Hebrews. So this is also in the New Testament, this, this passage that Joshua was told from the Lord, that to the New Testament Christian, he's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And so we can be encouraged in that, that he is with us. And he is not, let, he is not going to leave us, he is not going to forsake us. And so for that reason... When he says in verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the Lord which the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. There is great blessing in following Jesus and following what he tells us and what he commands us. Not according to the Old Testament laws we read God tells Joshua, but according to the words that Jesus has given us command. And there are many things he guides us and teaches us that we are to follow. And Jesus said if we follow them, it's like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the storms are coming. His house won't collapse because it's founded on the rock. 
we have a strong foundation, an anchor for our soul in Jesus. And it takes strength and courage to follow Jesus. That's why he says, be strong and very courageous to do everything I've commanded you. It is a man of courage and strength, a woman of courage and strength that follows Christ. And that that courage and strength is not natural. That comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from a relationship with the Lord. There are many who try to do it in their own strength, in religion, in Christian religion and other religions, to appease God, to please God by good works. And we are created for good works, but that's not how we are empowered. By the Holy Spirit. He says, haven't I commanded you? He has commanded us to meditate on His Word day and night. To think on His Word day and night. Now, that is part of the walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit reminds us day and night of the life in the Spirit. The life that He's given us in the Spirit. And to remind us of the words He's he's taught us from, from the Holy Scriptures. It shouldn't depart from our mouth, and it shouldn't depart from our heart, but meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, that you make your way prosperous, that God will bless the work and your life that you're doing. So from there we go to chapter 7. I'm sorry, chapter 6. Of Joshua and <clears throat> verse eight, verse seventeen. This is when, after Joshua and the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, you remember that the Lord stopped up the River Jordan so that the Joshua and all the children of Israel could cross over on dry ground, similar to the Red Sea. And then he tells them what they have to do to take Jericho. They're going to go, go around it seven times and on the seventh day they're going to shout and the walls are going to fall down and everything. And then, But he warns them of something very serious and he says in verse 17, he says, Now the city, talking about Jericho, shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction in it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of iron and bronze are consecrated to the Lord, shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And so, of course, what happened after that was the city was taken and everything. The walls fell down from Jericho. And... The silver and gold and the bronze and the iron were taken, the, iron, the vessels were taken, and everything else was to be burned. Nothing was to be taken from there. But only the silver and gold and the other metals were to be taken and were set up for the treasury of the Lord. Chapter 7 and verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, and so on, of the tribe of Judah, 
took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to them, Don't let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, but they fled from the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about thirty-six men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Does this sound like the Joshua of the book of Numbers, chapter 11 through 14? This doesn't even sound like the same man, does it? He sounds like the whole congregation of Israel and that whole thing with the spot, the four, ten, the twelve spies, and ten of them came back with the evil report. Sounds like he sounds like one of the ten spies that came back with the evil report, doesn't he? And there's a couple things to notice there. They sent spies out to spy out uh, AI. Doesn't say anything about the Lord giving them instructions in this, and you know. Seeking the Lord before they went in, like they did uh, at other, you know, after after they had this disaster came on them. There's no mention of the Lord giving them any instructions here. They looked and they said, "Oh, there's not too many people in this city." Said, so "We'll just send three thousand guys. We don't have to. We don't have to trouble the whole army." So they didn't seek the Lord apparently concerning this, because. Somebody had done something, and it affect. You notice how it affects everybody. Thirty-six men were killed in this. Remember what God said concerning Jericho. He says, "Don't take of the accursed things." He says, "Lest you become accursed and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it." When we, when somebody does something wrong, it affects others. When we who are in Christ walk in the flesh, it affects other people. Maybe we don't see it, but not only can it affect them negatively, directly, but indirectly, because if we're walking in the Spirit, all the positive influence we can have on people, let alone the negative influence we can have on people. So in this case, one man's sin caused 36 men to drop drop like that and to, and to be struck down like that and the whole the whole the whole nation was discouraged we read in chapter 1 no one will be able to stay stand before you all the days of your life 
And there they are, running away from their enemies. And Joshua, he's bewildered and discouraged, and he begins to speak fear and doubt and unbelief. What are we going to do here? Look what happened here. They're on their face before God, and God answers them after they're on their face. Verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I have commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore, unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Get up and separate yourself, separate the people, sanctify yourself for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among them. We read in the book of James, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And there is the way it works. If we do not submit ourselves to God, be in submission to his authority and to his will, we won't be able to stand before our enemy. And we'll be influenced and manipulated and controlled to some degree by our enemy. And we see it happen right here, being demonstrated in this situation. And God says, you know, until you get rid of this thing, until you repent of this, he says, you're not going to be able to stand before your enemies. You're not in submission to me. And this is the message that we read from the book of James. Submit yourself to God. Then resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. If you try to resist the enemy and all of his influence, and you're not in submission to the Holy Spirit, and if I'm not in submission to the Holy Spirit, good luck resisting the enemy, and good luck trying to get him to flee from you and his influence and his control over you. Because to some degree, he's going to manipulate and control you. Verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and I took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent and the silver under it. In the book of of Leviticus, excuse me, it says... Be assured of this one thing, your sins will find you out. This was a man who ignored the command of God because he saw some things and it says he coveted them. He lusted for them. 
word loves means to covet. And there was evil desire. That this stuff was supposed to be dedicated to the Lord, the gold and the silver. Everything else was to be burned, except certain metals, to the Lord's treasury. And he mentioned, he says, I saw this beautiful Babylonian garment. It was something that was pleasing to the eyes. And he was talking about it in a way that, you know, I mean, Babylon was a, was a place of culture and, you know, style in ancient times. Maybe it was a very stylish garment made of costly uh, materials, very pleasing, you know, something very well made, very appealing, you know. And then, of course, there's a fortune sitting there in front of him. A bag of gold, a bag of silver and this wedge of gold. Worth a fortune sitting there right in front of him. And he says, well, you know, I'm not going to flash it around. I'm going to bury it in the ground. I'm going to hide it in the ground. <clears throat> and Jesus said, the things that will be spoken in secret one day will be shouted on the rooftops. In the house stops. There's nothing that is hidden, hidden that will not be exposed, Jesus said. And here, though, this man, because of his covetousness, because of the, the natural desire of the human nature, he tries to, he gives in and tries to hide it. Secret sin. And he's exposed for it. And eventually judgment comes upon him if you read the rest of the story. We read a couple weeks ago where it says, since we have these precious promises, brother and sisters, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we have another example of that today. If we want God to be in what we're doing, in the way we're walking, if we want His blessing on our life, we have to follow His instructions. Just like we read in Joshua. Not necessarily the same instructions, but they're still God's instructions. We read in the New Testament where it says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in. The Lord has put in front of us a way to walk in. And He says, follow me. He who follows me will not be in darkness, but have the light of life. It's in following Jesus that we have the light of life. And following Him means a lot of things. Following His way of living. Following His lifestyle. Following His separation, His holiness. Following His commands. Jesus said, follow me. From there, we go to 1 John chapter 2.
beginning of verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides or remains forever. We have so many things that the world is influencing us and trying to draw us to live a certain way, to think a certain way, to dress a certain way, to speak a certain way, to follow the desires of our human nature, all the enticement to follow the desires of our natural self. And those who argue, well, we're only doing what's natural. That's right. And naturally, we are sinners. We are sold into sin through Adam and the descendants of Adam and Eve. We have been sold into slavery to sin. That's why, that's why we need a Savior. And so, as it says here, for all that is in the world says not to love the things of this world. We have to use things in the world. We have to function in this world, but we're not to love the things of this world or the way of the world or the lust of the world. It says the lust of the eyes. It brings you back to that guy saying, I coveted that that beautiful Babylonian garment. The lust of the eyes, you know? Pride, you know, the, <clears throat> the pride of life to wear a beautiful garment. Or maybe it was for his wife to give his wife this beautiful dress to, to wear or something like that. Who knows? But the fact is, it was the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He says, they're not from God, they're of the world. And we can't love the things of this world. He says, if we love the world, the love of God isn't in us. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. That's what separation as a Christian is all about. Where, where it's also talked about as being holiness. The word holiness, the word separation, the word sanctification, they all mean the same thing. And it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. This is the leading of the Holy Spirit in Christian life. The way that he calls us to live. But he who does the will of the Lord God abides forever. We read in a men's meeting on, on Wednesday from First Peter chapter 2 and verse verses 11 and 12, it says, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul.
Brothers, I beg you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers that they may by your good works when they, which they observe glorify God on the day of visitation. When we walk in the flesh it harms our soul. When we walk in the Spirit, it's life to our soul. And not only to ours, but to others, as we read here. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is similar to what Peter's saying right here. And they may, by your good works, when they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. abstaining from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. They harm the soul. They damage the spirit. They defile the flesh and the spirit. That's why we read that in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, let us um, cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so from there we go to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If you, then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you'll be, you will also appear with Him in glory. You know, I think that Christians should meditate on this passage often. I know that it's something that God brings to my attention a lot because there's some powerful things said in these four verses. It talks about being raised with Christ, if you are raised with Christ. So well, what do you mean by that? Well, we remember, we studied this a few weeks ago from Romans chapter 6. It says, it says uh, that we have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised with Him to walk in new, newness of life. We are buried with Him in the likeness of His death. And we are raised with Him into the likeness of His resurrection. His new life. We have been given a new life. A resurrected life. And that's why He says this here. If you have been raised with Christ. If you have been born again. If you have been buried with Christ into His death. And raised with Him to walk in a new life. If you have been born of the Spirit. He says, if that's you, seek heavenly things, not earthly things. Our mindset, our focus should not be on the things of this life. Again, we have to function in this life. But as it says at the end of this chapter, it says in verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever we do, even our work on the job, washing the dishes, whatever we're doing, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our focus always on Christ. Seeking things which are above, not the things of the earth. A, a spiritual focus and not a worldly focus. And our decisions, our mindset, our decisions, our whole outlook is based on heavenly things. Serving Christ, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Now, people have said, well, if you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And that's not what this is talking about. It's actually the other way around. That when we're doing things, the normal things of daily life, of earthly function, you know, working on a job, cleaning a house, you know, cutting the lawn, whatever we're doing. Those are just some menial chores that we do. It says that we should be spiritually focused even in those things. Serving the Lord even in those things. That we're heavenly minded in those things too. Doesn't mean we neglect our duties. But what it means is that while we're doing those duties, that we're still spiritually minded. That we're spiritually focused. That we're serving the Lord even when we're doing these menial labors and tasks. Not just being a pack mule in life. <laughs> it says, continue in verse 3 again, For you have died, as we read in, in uh, Romans 6, We have buried, been buried and died with Christ, been buried, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ who is our life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And that's the question is, do we live like Christ is our life? Are we thinking like Christ is our life? Is the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart focused on Christ being our life? Because if we're in Christ, then Christ is our life. And that's the way we should be thinking and meditating, or the meditations of our heart should be that Jesus is my life. <coughs> not part of my life. Not a percentage of my life. But my life. My whole life. I think as a Christian, sometimes we kind of naturally fall into the habit, the natural habit of partitioning our life. There's the religious slash spiritual life. And then there's living life, the natural life. And there's kind of, there's some crossover, but there's not a complete opening up to Christ being our life in those areas. I mean, I know that's, where my life is struggles have been is that 
you have to submit to God in those, you know, everyday things of life, not just pieces of life, going to church, time to pray, time to, uh, you know, you know, go to Bible studies or time to read the Bible. And those are the spiritual parts. That's the part we give to Christ. And then there's my part, you know, there's part of, you know, going to work and just focusing on work and just living, doing work and being that way. And it's, it's there's like a, a dividing line. When we were at work, we do things differently than when we're, when we think differently, but yet Christ is our life. So when we're doing our menial tasks, our labors and our works of that for necessities of life, we're going shopping at the store and things like that, that we're still, Christ is still our life. So when somebody is rude to us in the store, we would act it the same to them as if, you know, we were in church. Christ is still our life. We're still spiritually minded. Our decision-making is the same way. They're not just spiritual decisions and then carnal decisions. In Christ, they're all, they're all spiritual. They all have... Uh, things that we need God's we need God's influence we need his direction we need his guidance in our labors too you see the children of Israel they go out to war you know it wasn't offering sacrifice they're going out to war and they didn't seek God first and here's somebody had sinned and maybe they would have sought the Lord first, the way they did after the after the disaster came on and 36 men died. Maybe they could have avoided it altogether, avoiding disasters. And it goes on to say in verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Before you go on, and you see that there's a warning here similar to the one that Joshua received and the children of Israel received before uh, they went to, a to Jericho. You know, put away this stuff. Don't, don't, just put this stuff to death. The severe warning. Put the, to, to death all this stuff of the flesh. Our human nature, our natural desires. It's because judgment is coming on those who are disobedient. Verse 7, in which you once walked yourselves when you lived in them. But now you yourselves also put off these, anger, wrath, or outbursts of wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy words out of your mouth. Do not lie against, lie to one another, since you have put off 
the old man than his deeds. So you see all the stuff that, the inner stuff that comes out of us, the anger, the, the outburst of uh, temper, um, dirty words, you know, dirty jokes, you know, uh, blasphemy, speaking against God, a cursing, uh, lying. Jesus said it's a good and honest heart that bears good fruit. And Jesus talked about the soil on the thorny ground. He said, this is those who hear the word and then the thorns grow up and choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful and they none of the fruit ripens. He said, those are those. He said, the thorns are the Desires of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of many things. All the stuff mentioned here. The natural stuff. The human nature is like weeds that choke us so that the fruit doesn't ripen. He says, since we have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man... He was renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We are called to walk in the in the new man that God has given us. If we are born of the Spirit, it says in Galatians 5, let us also walk in the Spirit. Continues in verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in our heart, in your hearts, to which you are called, in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and and correcting or warning one another, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the way of the new life. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way Jesus lived. And he says, put off our old way of life. The accursed thing. Put off the way of the world. The way of the flesh. Because for this reason, the wrath of God has come against those who are disobedient. And there are those in Christendom who believe that because they believe in Jesus that they can live recklessly and carelessly. And it even talks in the book of Jude about those who preach such things. It says they turn the grace of God into licentiousness. That means a license to live in the flesh. And yet we are called here differently, as we can clearly see. We are called to life in the Spirit. 
And it, gets, it talks about life in the Spirit in very detailed terms, what life in the Spirit is and what it isn't. And this isn't the only place in the New Testament. It's Things are just listed out. Details of life in the flesh. Details of life in the Spirit. Putting away lying. Not being dishonest. Even if it means you can save a few bucks. Even if it means... You can keep your job, or you can get over on the government, or a lot of other things. Put away lying, dishonesty, to be honest before God, outwardly and inwardly. Putting on tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Isn't that like Jesus? I'm sure it is. But He has given us the Spirit of Jesus. And it says in the book of Romans, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he is none of his. Those who are in Christ have received Christ's nature. And He says, now walk in His nature. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And be thankful. The Christian has been opened up to a life of peace and gratefulness and contentment in spirit. So it says, and be thankful. A grateful spirit. A peaceful spirit. We read in 1 Peter chapter 3 where it talked about a meek and quiet spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit. And it's talking about the wives and women having that, but it's also for men too. A, a, a gentle and quiet spirit. A, a spirit that has peace in it is for all Christians. Is for all in Christ. That's the nature of Christ. Christ was a person, he says, I am meek and gentle in heart. The Spirit of Jesus. And then he said, first he says, let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, these are decisions that we make as a Christian. Whether we're going to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, or whether we're going to let turmoil and anxiety and fear and hardness and sourness rule in our hearts. And ungratefulness and grumbling. You see, there's a difference between the way of the spirit and the way of the flesh, the carnal mind and the spiritual mind. Is the word of Jesus, is the word of Christ dwelling in me richly? Richly, powerfully. Is it controlling me? Is it guiding me? Is it how I'm having an outlook on life? Because how can we follow him? We're not letting his word live in us richly.
it's hard to do that and to walk in two different directions at the same time. So it is the call for the Christian to be all in. To sell all that he has to purchase that pearl of great price, that treasure hidden in the field, as we've been talking about. I'll let you brothers comment on that. Dave, if you would like to start. Ben, Dan, anybody else that wants to talk on it? And I was struck by, um, you know, your your challenge of, of uh, not having separation in our life, you know. And I think of uh, the, the title of that book, I think John talks about it often, it's Practicing the Presence of God. And when you think about it, the only way that we're going to ever work on bringing oneness to our life where it's not separation, where it's not Bible study and church and talking to a brother versus talking to somebody in the world and you know how we treat um, this, the, the time in between our spiritually driven um, uh, you know exercises that we do or, or you know the things that we that we think of as sanctified, you know, is that we're going to have to start practicing the presence of God in every moment. You know, we have to every take Jesus with us everywhere we go and in every thought confer with him and begin to talk to him about the decisions we're making and allow his holy presence in those areas so that we start to see that we're ashamed of some of the things that we're doing that we claim as our separate time you know that that he doesn't approve of them he's not you know condemning us and and casting us into hell but he's wanting us to repent he's wanting us to become purer and holier with each passing day and week and month so that we're prepared to enter the kingdom of God. And, you know, I was reading, I think it was in, in uh, First Peter, actually. Um, I, can't, I, I lost my train of thought, but it was basically in First Peter, there was something that I was reading that was, that was saying that, you know, we'll be that we'll rejoice when we see the Lord, you know, that that the things that we've been practicing bring glory to Him in that day, you know, the day of the Lord. So, you know, that's where all of the sufferings and the trials and stuff that we have in this life that sometimes drive us um, into doing things that are, that are, uh, you know, selfish and, and things of that nature, they, they'll be overcome, you know, step by step if we practice the presence of God. And then we're not going to have that shame when Christ returns. You know, it'll be lesser and lesser and lesser, and we'll be more able to rejoice in the, in the you know, in seeing Him when He comes. We won't shrink back. We won't, we won't you know, be displeasing to God. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's something that struck me this morning that I know I need to do better. I need to do better in my life practicing that presence because when He's with you every moment, it makes you makes you um, you know strive for for honoring Him. Mm -hmm.